Hey lovelies, it's M. Today's episode addresses sensitive topics including pregnancy loss, miscarriage, and stillbirth. The content may be emotionally distressing for some listeners, so I'm going to encourage you to please exercise discretion and prioritize your emotional well-being when choosing to listen. If you or someone you care about is experiencing the challenges and the heartache associated with these topics, please consider seeking support from a mental health professional or reaching out to a trusted support network. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Trust M podcast. And I have an incredible guest here today. And I, from the moment I saw her her website and just how she describes and supports and just everything about who she is that I've seen so far, like just emulates for me how to hold space for women during difficult times. And I think that can be really hard, right? Because when people go through hard things, sometimes we just want to fix it for them. I know me as like a recovering, like, let me fix it. Um, It can be hard to hold space for people. And I think this guest today, from her own personal experiences, as well as the space she's held for other women, just is completely incredible. Um, So to give you a bit of an idea, I'm going to be welcoming Sarah here in just a second. Um, And after experiencing her own loss in her life, she started the project Finding Your Rainbow, and it brings awareness to pregnancy and infant loss. And I'm so excited for you guys to hear her story and everything she has to share with us today. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, thank you so much for having me today. Oh my gosh. Yes, of course. I'm so stoked that you're here. Um, Your website is absolutely incredible. Guys, I will be linking it for you. It's called Journey for Jasmine. um, And it has just so many incredible things. There's a podcast, there's the product Finding Your Rainbow. I mean, there's so much information and women's stories. Like I could go on for days, Sarah, truly. It's Incredible. Well, thank you. That means so much to me, honestly. Like that's it's nice to to hear, you know, that it's making a positive impact. Oh, it abs- it absolutely is. I've shared it with multiple people in my life already. I'm like, check this out. This is so incredible. I don't know how I took me so long to find it. And I feel like I'm gonna be screaming from the rooftops about it because what a support system and just community you've created. Thank you so much. That that truly means so much to me. Like I can't even like express how much that means to me. Oh, well, I'm happy. I'm happy to say it because it's all true. So before we jump too deep, because I know I'm real excited here, um, I'd love for you if you can share a bit about like your personal journey of experiencing infertility or pregnancy loss and what that looked like for you and how it got you to Journey for Jasmine. Sure. So um, I was originally diagnosed with PCOS, which is um, polycystic ovarian syndrome when I was 16. And that basically means um, I didn't have like regular cycles on my own, which obviously meant it would be kind of hard to get pregnant. So um, we did go through, you know, some various rounds of fertility treatment, um, most of which failed. And then I was able to get pregnant with my son uh, naturally after failed treatment cycle, gave birth to him. Um, everything was good there. And then after that, um, I had two early losses and then I had um, the loss of my daughter, Jasmine at 32 weeks. Uh, she was stillborn, and we actually knew kind of early on in the pregnancy that she had a rare condition called a congenital diaphragmatic hernia or CDH. 
And that's when there's a hole in the diaphragm and it allows the other organs to push up into her chest cavity and it compresses the lungs. So we knew early on, you know, she had that. And then later on, we also found out she had mosaic trisomy 15, which was another um, even rarer occurrence. Um, But, you know, I, I still never thought, even despite that, you know, I was like, she's, she's tough. She's hanging in there. Like I never expected to lose her, but then we did lose her at 32 weeks. And then after that, um, I was able to have two other daughters. We did fertility treatment again. Six months later, I had my rainbow daughter. And then just last year I had a surprise pregnancy and had my third daughter. So now I have three living kids and my daughter in heaven. Oh, Sarah, well, first and foremost, I just want to take a minute to acknowledge and just hold space for you and your family. Like, I can't imagine how difficult that must have been to go through. Um, And I appreciate, truly, truly appreciate you coming on and sharing that with us, because I know I have listeners who have been through similar experiences and having people like you come forward and say, yeah, this happened to me too. And it was really, really difficult, but I'm here to talk about it. And we're not alone. I think holds so much weight. Um, So I really, really appreciate that. Um, And also I am excited for you also for your just incredible family. And I love a surprise pregnancy. Those are the best. I also have PCOS. uh, So I totally get it. Uh, You know, the joys. I do. I do. I do. Um, So I think it's just another way that we kind of connect. And even with PCOS, that can feel very lonesome when you're the person at the doctor doing the things, but having conversations like this is so beneficial. So I appreciate it. Well, it is. And especially when doctors give you like no information about it, they're like, here's some birth control, come back when you want to get pregnant. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And then, you know, later on, I learned like, there's all these other things connected with it that no one ever told me yep. <laughs> all these other health issues. I'm like, thanks for telling me. Oh, <laughs> uh, so it's not just me having that. Good. Good. Okay. <laughs> no, it's, I feel like that's like, they're like, yeah, just come back. Are you trying to get pregnant? No, not right now. All right. We'll see you after you then. I'm like, there's nothing I should be doing before that. So the amount of research that I fe- I find myself having to do on their own, it's just like mind boggling to me. Exactly. I'm like, why am I having to research my own? I mean, I think everyone should be an advocate for themselves and do their research. But it's like, I still feel like doctors should be telling you more than just here's some birth control. See you later. I, I totally agree. Um, so, so when, when in this journey, so when did you use it 32 weeks, right? So you lost Jasmine. And then when did you start journey for Jasmine? Like, I can't even imagine having that happen and then being like, I'm going to stand up and be able to advocate for other people and express how I feel. Cause I got to tell you, one of my own biggest fears with PCOS is a loss. Yeah, it's, um, it's scary, you know, and, um, you always hear about early losses. You always hear about miscarriages, but I just didn't realize how many people had other types of loss, like stillbirth as well. Yeah. And, um, after our loss. So, you know, like I mentioned, we had a difficult pregnancy and that we knew she had these diagnoses. So when I was going through the pregnancy, I actually kind of started, um, a blog that I was just writing about the pregnancy And so after our loss, I just kind of continued writing for that. 
And then I got involved um, with Pregnancy After Loss Support, which is an organization that supports uh, people going through pregnancy after loss. I started writing for them. And so then it all kind of culminated in um, my blog now, which is Journey for Jasmine. Um, and so I guess that was um, 2020 that I like really started it. Um, and I lost her in 2018. So it took about two years to really get to that place. That's so interesting. And I, I think what really connected me more than anything to Journey for Jasmine was the, the incredible stories that you're sharing, not of just your own, but of other women. And I'm curious, how did you, like, did they find you? Did you find them? How- so I, <laughs> I know it's kind of hard to, I don't even know where people find me now, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, so the rainbow skirt, um, so project finding your rainbow, it's a rainbow skirt that travels from lost family to lost family. They take pictures with the skirt and then they write up their story. So then the pictures and the stories are all shared. The skirt was originally mine that I took my pictures with, um, with my rainbow daughter. And then I kind of saw um, that somebody else was doing something Uh, similar before I started, they were kind of doing, sending one around. And so I had originally contacted them like, Hey, like, can I get involved with you somehow? They didn't ever respond. So I'm like, I'm just going to start my own thing. And uh, yeah, so now it's actually more than one skirt. Although my original one is still circulating. It's actually in the UK right now. Um, And yeah, so now I've had like, you know, multiple skirts. It's been to almost all 50 states. It's been to the UK, Australia, Canada, and Peru. Sarah, I have literal full body chills. I don't know how, like, I saw the skirt, I saw the pictures. I was like, oh, like maybe everyone's getting, I had no idea. Like, I don't know how I didn't make that connection that we are literally mailing this from mom to mom and being like, hey, camaraderie, let's do it. Yes. Incredible. I have literal full body chills. You are an incredible human. Oh, oh thank you. It means a lot to me. And, I, and I've had, you know, so many people who participate that have said, although the stories are really hard to write, you know, for so many of us that it's been really healing to be able to do it. Yeah. And some, some are people who share their story, but some are people who have never shared it or have never shared it in as much detail. So it's, it's a space for them to do that. Oh, a hundred percent. I was um, looking through, I don't, I, I want to say it was Wendy's story and something that has stuck with me is she wrote this paragraph and she said, it's been a struggle daily to pick myself up and move around. And I had to tell myself to do it for my husband and my daughter, but I feel like I'm a shell of who I am. And as heart wrenching as that is, I have to believe that the woman who wrote that how, how therapeutic that must have been to be able to own that and say that and be on, you know what I mean? Like do the photo shoot and be like, this is my story and I'm, I'm struggling and I'm hurting, but I'm also owning that this happened to me and I'm going to stand up every day and try to put the pieces back together. It's just truly, truly inspiring. That, um, you know, you can't just sweep it under the rug or, pretend that it didn't happen so you're right we just kind of have to to own it and move on and be like look this happened to me but I'm not going to let it bring me down forever yeah and I think too for a really long time I think it was expected of women to not say anything and not talk about it 
and not definitely. And I think it's people like you who are standing up and saying like, no, no, we're not going to hide from this. It actually makes it harder when we try to brush it under the rug. It really does. It's like people expect us, there are babies and people are like, you can't talk about your babies. And I'm like, that doesn't like, would you tell somebody they can't talk about their mom or their grandma who passed away? Like you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. It's so true. I don't understand how we got there, but I'm so happy that we're making strides against it. And I think even with that, since we're talking about like societal pressures, I feel like um, women often face societal pressures across the board when it comes to fertility and motherhood. Um, And I'm curious, how do you think women can support each other in breaking free from these expectations and like embracing whatever their unique journey looks like when it comes to motherhood? I think one of the biggest things to keep in mind is don't, don't say the, don't say the things that come across as insensitive, like that there are things that maybe you think are comforting, but they're not like things like, you know, it'll happen when it's time or, you know, everything happens for a reason, like things like that. Those, those aren't helpful, even though like you think they might be. Yeah. I just think the most important thing is for you to truly listen to what they're saying you can't fix it, but you can be there to listen and provide support. And I think that is the most important thing. I think you said something that across the board is so important that people hear. Because what I'm hearing from you is, I think people say those things when they don't know what else to say. But something doesn't always need to be said. Sometimes we just have to be there for people. And, and listen to them. Like you just said, like, I just need to be listened to. I don't, you can't fix it. Nothing's going to fix it. Stop trying to fix it for me. Exactly. And, and, you know, don't make the comments either about, you know, you can have one of my kids or, you know, things like that. Oh, like, God. like, just, just don't. <laughs> I need you to know that as a, as a therapist and as a social worker, I cringe hearing that because I know that people say it. And I'm like, in what reality did you think that would, make them feel better like I need you to like, think about the thing before you say them out loud like, oh, I no. know I just I think people just don't think or you know like the yeah. well just be glad you aren't a parent it's tiring I'm like I'm sure they would rather be tired okay just just stop yeah. and that's what I, I truly believe it comes from a place of like panic and fear like they're expecting me to have an answer. So I just need to say whatever comes to my mind. And certain people lean on like humor like that. And other people lean on like hope. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. people need the person experiences aren't looking for humor or hope right now. They're just trying to get through. Exactly. Literally, all you have to say is, you know, I'm sorry. That's really hard. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah. And you, you know what I mean? It's such a simple phrase like that is so hard sometimes for people. And I, I really hope that we continue to grow as a society where like that becomes the normal response. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why it's important, uh, I think, to keep sharing because then, you know, people know what we need from them. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious um, because you, I'm assuming with everything that you've created and, um, having contact with these incredible moms, um, I'm I'm assuming that you've had to help kind of navigate some of that grief with them. Has that it, has that happened? Yes, it has. Um, you know, it's it's honestly really hard sometimes to be surrounded by as many lost stories as I am. Yeah, and I have to take breaks sometimes because it it's just a lot. 
you know, on top of my own grief, because every story I read, I'm sad for them too. Yeah. But I can't take on like all of that grief. (laughs) Yeah. I call it um, my, because I'm the same way. I'm very empathetic. Um, So I have to like have empathetic boundaries where I'm like, nope, actually I can't carry that for them. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Because it it can be very, very heavy. Um, But I'm curious too. I mean, do you have any tips or practical tools like that you use for yourself for setting those boundaries or even helping um, moms navigate that grief, grief and healing journey? Honestly, I would say the number one thing that I think is so important is to find a support system. And that is, for me, I found that's never who you think it's going to be. So like, you may think it's going to be like your immediate family. And oftentimes it's like an acquaintance you knew in high school that also had a loss that becomes your new best friend. Right. That's so, so- Interesting. But I think that might make sense, though, because I feel like if your immediate family is also experiencing that, that grief. Mm. Yeah. They have a different kind of grief surrounding it. You know, they've lost, like my mom, she said, not only did she lose her granddaughter, but, you know, she had to see me hurting. Yeah. And that's what I mean. I don't think everyone always has the emotional capacity or even the emotional understanding to be in that and also navigate it with someone else. I definitely agree. But I, but I, and it also makes me think like that just must feel so lonely for the people who aren't looking outside of their family to find that support system. So I really appreciate that tip because it makes sense. You never know who that system's going to be, but it sounds like you're saying lean into the person that it is. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if you don't know anybody, um, there's tons of people on on the lost community, like on Instagram, on Facebook, there's, you know, tons of people, there's online support groups. I mean, you don't ever have to even go in person, you can talk to people all online. And I've even seen some people who set up like on Instagram, they'll set up um, like more anonymous type accounts, but they can post about their loss. Interesting. Yeah, I've been seeing I once I found your website, I started to look and be like, well, what else is out here? Like, is there other communities? And I, I did see a few different things. And I think I just want to say to anyone who's listening, who's maybe experiencing or has experienced this, like, take a look around because you never know what systems might be out there. And not everything is going to be for everyone. But Mm -hmm. take a look because you're, you need community. This is something that's so hard to carry on your own. And you don't have to carry it on on your own, even though a lot of us feel like we have to. You don't, and you shouldn't. Oh, it's so true. It is so very true. So I'm also thinking a lot about when you when I mention when I think about guilt, I also think about self compassion. So I'm curious um, because I truly do feel like self compassion is just like a crucial crucial aspect of self-acceptance and like mental well-being because no one is perfect, right? And life doesn't ever plan out perfectly. Um, So how do you encourage women or even encourage yourself to practice self-compassion during their grief journey? Man, and I know this is a really hard one because when we go through loss, like we we blame ourselves and it's like, I should have known it was my body's fault. Like I hate my body, you know, all of these things, which I, I was there too. And I think one of the most important things is to every day remind yourself, it's not your fault. You did nothing wrong, you know, and 
loss just happens. It happens to, it can happen to anyone, you know, rich people, poor people, healthy people, sick people, it can happen to anybody. And um, I think just constantly reminding yourself that, you know, it's, it's not your body's fault and that you need to nurture your body, take care of your body so that you can, if you want to try again, so that you can try again, I think is really important. And I, I mean, I, it's hard. There's just no way around it. You just kind of have to kind of force the positive thoughts in. <laughs> no, you're a hundred percent right. And I want you to know that, like, I feel like not only did my listeners need to hear that, but like, so did I, because like I said, even with my own journey with PCOS, like, when I was talking to my own therapist, I was feeling frustrated. And I said, you know, I just feel like my body is broken. And she was like, I'm going to encourage you to figure out how to change that thought process because your body isn't broken. Millions of women struggle with PCOS too, and are going to have a difficulty getting pregnant and going in with the mindset that you can nourish and take care of this vessel that can eventually help you bring life into this world or even be able to adopt and love a baby, your body's going to do that for you. And I, I think having that constant reminder of like, being kind to you is only going to help your journey. Yeah. And, you know, on that note, I I've struggled with that as well, because I'm like, why is my body so broken with the PCOS? And, you know, then you hear about like, you know, the diet and it's like the PCOS diet is like no dairy, no sugar, no caffeine, no alcohol, no gluten. And I'm like, well, what can you eat? And then, so it's really frustrating. And I'm like, why am I the one who has to deal with this? But then when I think about it, I remind myself, okay, really none of us should be eating as much of that stuff as we do, regardless of if you have PCOS. So, you know, it's like trying to remind myself, like I'm not being punished for something. It's so true. And I think too, like I recently worked with um, a PCOS nutritionist um, and they're every day finding out more and more information of the way that our food works together and how to pair things. You know what I mean? And she's very much into, she's like me, you stressing about not being able to have the thing is actually more hindrance on your body than just figuring out how to eat a maybe a little smaller amount and pair it with other things. So I think, but it's hard to find those people, right, who have that information. It is. And it, it, it feels like you're constantly being punished for something you didn't pick for yourself. Exactly. So I will, um, guys, I'll definitely be linking all of Sarah's information and her website and all the things because I think it's so beneficial to y'all. But I'll also link um, the dietitian I work with because I think it links back. And if anyone is looking for some support there, I can guide it as well. Um, but I'm curious because I am forever the optimist, Sarah. So just it's killing me <laughs> for a second. I feel like I mean, do you ever like envision a world where women can just like openly support each other, support each other through these challenges? And like, if that was, if that was something we were working towards, like, how do you think we get there? I think, I mean, obviously I would love that. That would be an amazing place to live if we could all just be supportive of each other, you know, through what we're going through, because I found that sometimes women can be meaner to other women and I'm like but why oh well you know you just had an early loss my loss was later and I'm like okay but all the losses matter there's no like comparison here okay oh so true but um I do feel like 
the most important thing to do to get there is to talk about our stories. This is so true. The more it it makes it real. It does. I would say that everybody knows somebody who's gone through loss or infertility, even if you don't know that you know them because they may not talk about it. I've noticed that. I feel like, especially like with my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation, I would be like, wait, you, you had a loss? And they go, yeah, but it, it was just not something we talked about. I've heard that so many times. And it just makes me sick to my stomach because I can't imagine having to carry that so quietly within myself. I remember reading um, a story about, I think it was a woman that was in the UK and she had had um, a stillborn baby like many years ago. She was a, an older woman and they basically just took the baby away from her. Um, didn't let her see the baby, you know, cause I thought that was better at the time. She never knew what had happened to the baby or anything. But then in this story, um, she was able to go find the baby's uh, grave and go visit her baby finally after all these years. Oh, my heart. I know I was crying. <laughs> Oh, and I'm like, you know, I I know that was the thought process at the time, but I can't imagine not even letting the mother see their baby. That is heart wrenching. I cannot imagine that either. It's so strange that that used to be the normal. I mean, it's like, let's just pretend it didn't happen and move on. Yeah, It's like, it's like, we're not going to make you more emotional. So we're just going to pretend. And I'm like, "Mm, that's really not how that works. (laughs) I know. Like you don't just like, Oh, I didn't see it, the baby. So I'm just going to go home and forget it happened. Like as, as your milk comes in and as all these other things happen that remind you that you don't have your baby. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm so happy she was able to find the grave that must've brought her at least a bit of healing. Yeah. I I was, I mean, I consider that a, not a happy ending, but a, yeah, but something, you know what I mean? It, it, yeah. it gave some, some hope there a little bit. I'm like, I don't know the right but, word, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, like you said, it's never a happy ending because it was it was a loss. But I feel like it had to have bring her just a little bit of joy. Yes. This connectedness. Um, so I'm curious. Um, I know that this is a big question. So if you need to take it in pieces, go ahead. But if I, I know I must um, have listeners right now who are currently going through infertility, pregnancy loss, if you have any words of advice or words of encouragement for them. I think what I said earlier, find your support system. That's still super important. If you're going through infertility or loss, there are communities out there who can, you know, provide support. And I think you need that when you're going through it. And I also think being your own advocate is really important because like we were talking about with the PCOS, doctors don't tell you things. Mm -hmm. And I think you, I mean, don't, you know, don't go to Google and then all of a sudden you're the doctor, but I was going to say, don't do that. (laughs) But I do think it's okay to research things and bring them up to your doctor if they haven't suggested them just to see, Hey, is this something we could try? I don't think there's anything wrong with advocating for that. I would agree. I totally agree. That's what I've done. I've done that over and over with doctors. And sometimes it, it also taught me, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. It helped me figure out who was really supposed to be my doctor and who wasn't. Yes. Because if I brought in things and they immediately shut me down every time. I was like, you're not open to communicating about my health. 
So I need to find someone who is. And then when I found a doctor, like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's look into that. Let's try that. I was like, oh, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. Yes, I get so tired of being dismissed by people. Like, yeah, I know I'm not a doctor, but, you know, you clearly don't know enough about this subject. So I totally agree. So, guys, I just want to point out again, um, Sarah's website, Journey for Jasmine. It has so much incredible information. I mean, infertility, pregnancy, pregnancy loss, the project Finding Your Rainbow. There's also the Finding Hope After Loss podcast, which I would love for you to talk a little bit about because we haven't touched on it yet. And I'm very intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm in the second season of that. And that's kind of um, an extension of um, Project Finding Your Rainbow, kind of, where I just share stories of people going through infertility, people going through loss. Um, So I've had some of my participants also come on and and share their story on there. But then I've also had other people who haven't been participants sharing their story. And I think there's just something powerful about, it's powerful to write your story, but I think it's even more powerful to speak it and to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm looking at all the topics you cover. I mean, miscarriage, stillbirth. Um, chemical pregnancies, miscarriage, I mean, neonatal, I mean, there's so many things and so much, I mean, so I feel like you're creating space for everyone to feel heard. And that's exactly my goal because, you know, every type of loss matters. Like I said, doesn't matter if you're early or late, you know, it, they're all important. They were all your baby. We can't judge how people are going to respond based on how far along they were. So I think they're all important to talk about. Yeah. Absolutely. I totally agree. So guys, I will link you to that as well. And Sarah, please know I'll definitely be tuning in because I think the work that you do and the space that you create is absolutely incredible. And I also want to acknowledge too, that I'm very proud of you for taking breaks because I know how heavy that can be doing such a service for your community. So thank you so very much. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's especially after my, my daughter was born, hearing some of the stories about like infant loss. I was like, I can't do this. Yeah. yeah. It hits a little too close to home. No, I, I totally get that. So I'm very, very proud of you for being able to say, you know what? I need a minute and I gotta, I gotta do my homework for a sec because I gotta come up for air. So that is just incredible. Like I said, guys, I will link everything to connect you to Sarah because I think the conversations she's having are so, so very important for women across the spectrum. Um, and Sarah, just because I always love to end on a silly lighter note, I'm wondering if you'll indulge me with a couple of silly questions to give our listeners a little bit more about you. Sure. Sure. So my first one, which is my favorite one because I'm a breakfast lover is what is your dream breakfast? I mean, see, that's a hard question for me too, because I love breakfast food. I love all breakfast food. (laughs) It's the best meal of the day, in my opinion. It is. I'm like, if I could just eat breakfast food all day, every day, like I'd be happy. But I think I have to go with um, chocolate pancakes. Those are my favorite. That's a good one. That's definitely a good one. And I also also really love waffles. (laughs) Ooh, I like a waffle too. I like a waffle too, especially like if it has a little bit of a crisp to it. Like I feel yes. like it needs to have a little bit of something. That's my jam. Yeah, no sogginess. Oh yeah, no soggy waffles here. Okay. She passes, guys. She can handle this. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we can and, come eat breakfast food any day. <laughs> oh, 
please. I also could eat breakfast all day long. Diners are like my jam. And then my second question is, if you could live in any fictional world for a week, what world would you choose? Could be movies, books, TV shows, anything. So this is probably a, a one that I both would and wouldn't, but probably Outlander. Interesting. <laughs> because I really, so really the main reason is because I love Scotland and it's beautiful. And also, I mean, Jamie's not so bad either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. then I'm like, do I really want to live in a time of war? I don't know. <laughs> Oh, true. I also love Outlander. My mom and I dream of taking a trip to Scotland one day, so I'm right there with you. And it's like, do I want to say yes? But do I want the war? Probably not. I mean, we'll have to take it day by day, I guess. Right. I'm like, but it's just a week, right? I could survive that. <laughs> oh, funny. Oh, my gosh. See, guys, this is why these are my favorite questions. All right. I probably should let you go because we're already at 40 minutes and we could chat all day. But thank you so much for coming on today, Sarah. I very much appreciate it. Um, And guys, I will link everything that you need to link up to Sarah in the show notes. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, of course, anytime. All right, guys, we will see you next week.